Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Uh, tomorrow night. It's like, oh, yeah, I wait here. This one. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Donaldson Files. I'm Tom Donaldson here with yet another exciting episode. What we're going to do here the first hour or so, the first today show, is Coco is on a vacation. It's just going to be myself, but there are a couple of things I do want to kind of tell everybody about. Is uh, Dr. Larry is going to be joining me for the final 30 minutes of this show you know, with our kind of caps of 2020 and 21. Uh, tomorrow's show is going to be John Burlow. Uh, John Pelham of the Center for American Experiment and Isaac Gore as well. The three of them are going. To, we're going to be talking mining, all kinds of issues, mining, economics, and and all three of these people have been involved in some very interesting studies. So we're going to be talking about that. John Burles wrote to me one of the best books on George Washington, and we'll be kind of and basically drawing the lessons, uh, you know, from what the research is. And is there a lesson to be told from that? So we're going to be doing that. I am the chairman of America's PAC. I am the project director and an associate, of, a research associate for America's Majority Foundation. I'm the author of eight books, including Rise of National Populism and Democratic Socialism, as well as a, one of the definitive books on black boxers in the United States, Boxing in the Shadows. Now, I'm going to begin this show. And we're going to begin this show with Dwayne Haskin and the episodes there. And I want to kind of start this. And the way I want to do this is that there is a history. I first want to kind of talk about the history, you know, because a lot of times there's situation behind the scenes. I'll let you, the viewers, decide on yourself. But uh, there are situations behind the scenes, and there are historical aspects to this. Now, I'm going to say this. They're very rarely, am I ever going to say that Daniel Snyder, the owner of the Washington franchise, did something right that, at the time, made the right decision. He was the one that pushed to get Dwayne Haskin drafted. But let me explain the situation of Washington at that point. And I'm just going to be very honest and said. Snyder made, at that time, the right decision in drafting Dwayne Haskin. He was available in the 15th round. He was ranked as one of the top quarterback prospects. And while he may not have had the same experience as others as far as college experience, certainly the talent was there. He played for a major university in Ohio State. 
And so it is not like this guy shouldn't have been drafted. I mean, here's where Washington was in 2019. First of all, in 2019, the quarterback for the Washington franchise was Case Keenum coming in. In 2017, they basically kicked Kirk Cousin out the door. Now, you can argue whether or not the big bucks that Kirk Cousin was asking for, but he was a good quarterback, not a great one, but a good one. You know, he fit the system, and and but to the you know to a lot of the you know to that to the group, you know to the Washington franchise ownership and to their front office, maybe he wasn't the guy we're going to be paying thirty million dollars a year, twenty five to thirty million a year. So they brought in Alex Smith. Now Alex Smith is you know. Is a gamer, is a good quarterback, but he's not a Hall of Fame quarterback. You can say he was a slight upgrade, but just remember, he's like five years older or six, he was like six years older than Kirk Cousins. So on one side, you may say there was an upgrade. On the other side, based on his record, on the other side, uh, okay, he's going to be older, and at the end of the contract, he's going to be 38. At first, that decision didn't look too bad because even though he wasn't having a great year, so the Red, the Washington franchise was six and three after nine games. Then it was the tenth game. They're losing the game, and he, one of the most devastating injuries that one will ever see in a football game. The only one that's even comparable was what I saw was Joe Theismann in 1985, when you know he, you know he broke his leg. And this was a serious break that would require 17 surgeries. He nearly died from sepsis. And coming in 2019, nobody was thinking that Alex Smith would ever come back and play. And he certainly was going to play in 2019. So they brought in Case Keenum. Now, Case Keenum was, eh, okay, you know, you know eh, he's like what you call, he's a journeyman type of quarterback. Nothing, it was, he's not horrible. But he's not great. He's not great. And so what I would like to try to put in this, he's not great. So, But this is who they went into the field. Now, Jay Gruden was basically told, win now. But the problem you run into, and let's also forget, let's not forget two other things. The, the Washington drafted Terry McClellan. McClellan as a wide receiver who basically has proven to be a very good wide receiver, 2,000 yards in just two years as a receiver. They drafted Monty Sweat, who is a who's this year is playing like a pro bowler on defensive end. And certainly, so there were two college players they drafted that basically were probably were ready to start. So it wasn't like Jay Gruden was not given some options here you know, some availability of players ready to start. But the reality was there was no quarterback. After Case Keenum, who's your quarterback? Coy McCoy was already out the door. Kirk Cousin has long been gone. Alex Smith is pretty much injured. And so they really didn't have a backup quarterback, per se. But they had Case Keenum. And so the real question that comes into play here 
is, all right, what do you do? Okay, so, you know, and the thing is, they didn't have a young quarterback. They didn't have, you know, so you can't, you know, say what you want to say. There was nothing sitting behind, uh, I'll take that back. He was, he did play for Washington for one game, and he was, and he injured him, he got injured that game, that season as well. So basically, yeah, so basically, Coy McCoy was your backup quarterback, but he he was coming off a severe of the leg as well. So he's like Alex Smith, he had him. So it was that question of, okay, who do you really have? Dwayne, they had nobody young coming up. And for six years, six years now, folks, the Washington front office and Jay Gruden never developed or drafted a young quarterback that they could develop. The closest they came was a guy named Nate Sudfield, who basically in 2008, they drafted him in 2017, pretty much was the practice squad. 2018, they cut the guy. They said, well, and he ended up being picked up by Philadelphia. Basically, cut their young prospect that they have. In 2018, by the 10th game, on game 11, both Court McCoy and uh, Alex Smith are out. Nobody else is there playing quarterback. They had to literally get people off the street. Mark Sanchez, who hadn't played in a year. Uh, Josh Johnson, who hadn't played in three or four years. That's who they ended up with at the end of the year. So they basically went from a 6-4 and four to finishing 7-9. and nine. Or you could say after the after Alex Smith broke his leg, they went one in five. Now, Redskins going in 2019, you know, again the front office overestimated the talent they had, and and I'm going to get here with the rest of the story uh, following this with Tom Donaldson here on the Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. This is Dr. Larry Fidoa, host of the Dr. Larry Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, inviting you to listen live every Wednesday evening from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time at blogtalkradio.com and the podcast every Monday through Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. I am called the philosopher of current events an independent, open-minded conservative with my own ideas. If you are interested in advertising or having your own show, email us at labachelor40 at gmail.com. And also, don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, you can also listen to Locker Talk. For those people, Locker Talk with Barry Bonds. Barry is where you can hear about the NFL stars of tomorrow today. Listen to Barry every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, Block Talk Radio, Dash LA Bachelor, or you can listen to them on our website, the Bachelor News Radio Network. That's right, the Bachelor News Radio Network, and you can get the latest of all of Barry Bonds' uh, most recent talks. So 
don't forget, Bachelor News Radio Network, and you can listen to the podcast at any time, along with some of the other great shows, including Johnson Files, The Dr. Larry Show, You and the Law, The Light Cafe Broadcast, The Gray Kepper Cope, and more. Shows coming on this particular network. Okay, back to my story. All right. So basically, they had, going in 2019, essentially no quarterback in the future. And so the question is always a tricky thing, trying to a build for the future while at the same time thinking you can have a shot at, at it winning a title. And But unfortunately, Dwayne Haskin came himself with his situation because quite honestly, quite honestly, he was put in a no-win position because he had a group of coaches that didn't really want him. Hello, Coco. How you doing? Hi, how are you guys doing? Well, fine. I did not realize you were coming on tonight. I thought um, you were. I wasn't. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I'm just going to let you know, Dr. Larry's going to be joining us for the last 30 minutes. All right. And well, I'd be happy to like join in for a little bit. Um, I know you wanted to talk to me about a particular show on Netflix. Yes, I did. And we're going to get to that real so quick. I, th- I, I, thought, I thought we would um, – I thought that for the time that I'm going to be in here for a little bit, because I am technically on vacation, even though I'm vacationing from home, but it's a little bit of a break for me. Um, All right. Uh, I, I wanted to know about your Christmas. How was your Christmas? Oh, listen, my Christmas was great. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to uh, hold on to this story by Dwayne Haskin and, and later. But So we're going to go – I had a nice Christmas. I really did. We had a nice Christmas uh, – you know, basically, my my oldest is here to is joining us with her two cats. Yeah, and we basically zoomed the. Uh, we had our FaceTime uh, with the youngest, because she's stuck in New York. Uh-huh. She has to do some work. She has to work at the museum still. It's you know, and right. uh, and she cannot go anywhere because of uh, the strict you know because the, they have some very strict quarantine rules for New York. Yeah, you know, if you leave, you come right. back. You got you know, so. So she's yeah. So basically, that but we had a nice we had a nice uh, we had a great meal, and uh, we've been basically relaxing since. I have to be honest with you. Uh, I, I don't know if I did we talk about this last week. We had this box of Advent wine. You know, you're supposed to drink a wine. You know, like a no, you small bottle. No, you told me about that. That sounds interesting. Oh, yeah, well, it's nine or ten ounces. It's nine or ten ounces. Of, you know, of, right. about nine or ten ounces bottle. So, well, here's the thing. We didn't wait until like Christmas to open it. So I mean, right before Christmas. So we basically, along with the gift of Scott Scotch from Scotland, you know, we've been sitting there trying to basically uh, drink the rest of the wine. So instead of you know maybe one a day, it's like three or four a day per person. So we're finishing up that, and uh, yeah, and so and we've been watching. Uh, they've been watching. We've been watching Netflix. And here's the thing. Uh, I really wanted – because I know you're into this, you know, the mystery of horror type of stuff and serial killers. Um, I and, am. Yeah, and so the Yorkshire Ripper is what, this, what the Netflix right. was and all it's, about. You know what? Yeah. You know what? I was going to watch that. Um, actually, my boyfriend, who's really not into any of that at all, suggested it. He goes, oh, it sounds interesting. <laughs> Well, no, here's the thing. It is an interesting story because this guy killed it 13 is. women. It is. 
Yeah, he killed 13 women, and he basically right. attacked at least 10 others. So, I mean, unlike Jack the Ripper, you know, they were survivors from right. this guy. So, I mean, I guess you're going to say his efficiency was about 60%. You want to keep scoring that way. I mean, but it was, yeah. I don't yeah, I don't know. And here's the thing that struck me, because basically, you know, this, you know, to me, this guy, and the, you know, it was how the police were investigating. Because you look at this was not, I don't know if you had to see the show. I mean, when you see the show, you find out, you know, the police weren't exactly the, at the most efficient in all of this. You know, they had like 200 I'm plus shocked. people on this thing. You know, were, were, you know. Guilt. I'm going to use the word guilty of prostitution, or they were involved in it, but they were not. Here's the thing. Uh, this Northern England at the time was going through a recession. England in the 70s was economically right. distressed. And they're going right. through, and you have, and like most of these women, like one of these women, basically, I think the husband said, all right, go earn some money. Here's the van. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. seriously. <laughs> And and so they were not. I wouldn't, you know, they were married women, or divorced women, or single women with children, or married women with children. Right. And and so and of course it's almost like, well, they're prostitutes. So this guy, and that's how they came up with the Ripper. And then on the fifth woman was a sixteen-year-old girl who had no history, was middle class, and they said, and they, and and the word they would use would be like. Well, she's this innocent girl or this good person. And I'm like, as opposed to the what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the that was, prostitute to was her like, Yeah, yeah. And so, and this is what the interest in the series, because in effect, what this serial killer did is he started to talk to them a little bit and he decided, well, you know, you know I'll start killing middle class women just to show you. Just to show you, to throw fear in everybody, right? And and yeah, you know, and but it's like I say, it, it well, it's it's a fascinating. I don't know if you did you see it or did you just read about it? No, you, I you just, just I just read about it. I just read about it, but yeah. um, um, I definitely going to be checking it out. Um, I, yeah. I I am a big fan of Netflix crime documentaries. Um, I find that they put out yeah. some really pretty damn good ones. Um, but, you know, I was thinking, I'm actually, this is uh, one of the reasons I'm, I'm so busy and I wasn't really going to be on today, but I am starting my own YouTube channel about crime, murder, um, and different stories that I, I could tell, like stories that people really yeah. haven't heard of. Um, like for instance, the man in the staircase, on uh, the attic. Sorry, the man in the attic. Well, yeah, um, yeah. That has, yeah, is that the uh, one where the yeah is that the one we talked about last week where the guy basically lived in the attic with uh, this was. woman? Uh, yeah, she's married. She's married. Her husband's living in the house, and this guy's living in the attic, and she's you know correct. Is that yeah that, yeah correct fascinating yeah. It's really yeah. fascinating, and a lot of these. It's so funny because I've been watching so. Um, one of the shows I re, I really got into uh, once again, Unsolved Mysteries, with mm-hmm. Robert Stack, 
for those of you guys who don't know Robert Stack, I know him as the uh, guy from Unsolved Mysteries, but a lot of the older generation would probably know him from TV shows. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, his classic is The Untouchable. He was Elliot Ness. That's yes, why I remember, you know, that, yeah, he was Elliot Ness, Touchables. Yeah, so, so um, I, I, started, I started watching, and there was a really fascinating story about this woman. It's not really a crime story, per se, but this actually happened in Iowa, where you're from. Um, and so she was in a car, car, it was kind of like a car crash, but not really like she slid to the side of the road and she thought, um, it was like negative three, something around there. And she wasn't really like, she had a parka on, but it was a thin parka and this happened in the eighties. She basically, uh, you know, realized that, well, I'm close to a friend's house, so I'm going to go and, you know, walk to their house. She barely makes it there, and she sees the house, and she falls to the ground, and the friend sees her the very next day, and she's like a frozen corpse. Like, she was to the point where her, like, they couldn't move her legs because they were afraid it would snap. Mm. Um she survived. She survived. But uh, actually, there is a, this one case, which oh my god, you're. Oh, do you know Villisca, Iowa? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like is it Villisca or okay? Villisca. Okay. Honey, do you know yeah. about the murders? Do you know about the Villisca Axe Murder House? You know, I do not. Uh, I do not. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Okay, so this is kind of a scary story. Um, It's scary to me. But in Villisca, Iowa, where Tom has heard of it, thank God, um, there in the 19, I believe it was 1900, like 1907. um, And this is a fascinating story. Honestly, it's kind of crazy. So it was the Villisca X murder houses that occurred um, in 1912, actually, guys. 19, we're going back like over 100 years. Um, in Villisca, yeah. Iowa, um, six members of a family and two house guests were found bludgeoned in the Moore residence. Eight victims including six children, had their heads severely cut from an axe. Now, what makes this case really interesting is that to this day, nobody knows who had who did it. Nobody knows. There were so many suspects. Um, the first trial ended in a hung jury, and the second ended in an acquittal. And the crime actually remains open to this day. Now, it all starts with um, the parents, um, Josea and Sarah, and their four children, age 11, 10, 7, and 5. They were a pretty affluent family, very church-going. Um, they were really well-liked in their community. So that evening, 
um, these two girls were visiting, Lena and Gertrude, ages 8 and 12, to spend the night. Um, mm-hmm. And the family had always attended the church, uh, the Presbyterian church, where they yeah. often participated in the Children's Day program. Um, well, the, they actually went that Sunday, and the sisters decided, well, if we can spend the night at the Moore's house, and their parents obviously were like, yeah, okay, why not? <laughs> So at 7 a.m. that day, um, the neighbor came. She became concerned, you know, noticing that the family had not come out from their home. When nobody answered, she tried to open the door and discovered that it was locked, um, which is pretty unusual. She started knocking, received no response. Um, You know, she had uh, his, Jose's brother, you know, it's a very small-knit community, um, Jose's brother shouted and he went inside the house and that is where he discovered the body of his brother, the wife, the eight children, seven children. And the murder weapon was an ax belonging to the father. And it was found in the guest room where the, the sisters were found, those Billington sisters. So apparently the crime took place between midnight and 5 a.m., Two cigarettes in the attic suggested the killer or the killers were patiently waiting inside that attic for them to go to sleep. So that was, like, like interesting in itself, like how did they get in without anybody noticing. Um, investigators believe at the time that all the victims except for um, Lena Stillinger, which one was one of the sisters, had been asleep when murdered. They thought she was awake and tried to fight back as she was found actually lying crosswise on the bed. Mm. So we're going to get into, um, oh, also, um, her nightgown was pushed up to the waist and she was wearing no undergarments leading to law enforcement to police to, to suspect that the killer sexually assaulted or attempted to do so at the time. Um, so this is where it gets really interesting, um, the investigation. Um, if you want to take a commercial mm. break, Tom, you're more than welcome, and I can come back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so baby, yeah, why don't we do this, Tom Donaldson? Coco is now joining us uh, uh, for this, uh, taking time off her vacation, totally surprising me, <laughs> which was yeah. So, all right. I never get the flu. My kids don't need more shots. I don't have time. We're all healthy. My asthma's under control. I'm pregnant. I've had the flu. It's not a big deal. My kids are too old for flu. The media is exaggerated. I can fight it naturally. No matter how you build your excuses, the flu can blow your house down. Keep your foundation strong. Vaccinate. Learn more at flu.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Yeah, don't forget to get your flu shots, ladies and gentlemen. Also, don't forget that. Oh, you mean uh, this is. Yeah. Hello? Yeah, we're here. Yeah, here. Yes, I'm here. Here. Oh, okay. No, no, okay. I thought I heard an echo there somewhere. Uh, Okay. This is Donaldson Files. The Bachelor News Radio Network is our new website. We'll be detailing as the year goes by some more. uh, some more upcoming news about what we got going here. 
If you want to call in tonight, 646-929-0130. And don't forget, tomorrow we're going to have three guests, John Burlow, uh, Isaac Orr, and John Pelham. We'll be talking uh, economics, mining, and 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 try and what the lessons and some of the studies they've been doing for all of us tonight. Uh, uh, in about I would say, yeah, fifteen, and you know, hopefully in about five ten minutes, uh, Doctor Larry's going to be joining us as well. So and listening to my story <laughs> and listening to your story. That's right. All right, here's the yeah. So let's go back. You you got this act okay, murderer. So- yeah. Um, let's like really rehash real quick. So basically, there was a murder in 1912 um, with Hosea, Hosea Moore, Sarah Moore. There are four children and two other child, two girls that were sleeping over. They were a very church-going family, and it was a very small town, even if it's small to this day. So you can imagine all the way back in 1912 how small of a community this was. Um, and the fact that they hadn't come out every day to feed their chickens was alarming to their neighbor who called for the brother of Hosea. And that's when they discovered the bodies. Um, now we're going to get into a little bit of the investigation right now. So over the time, there were so many suspects that emerged. Like, like it's, 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 it almost seems kind of like a conspiracy, if you will. But one of the suspects that emerged was a reverend named George Kelly. Um, reverend George Kelly was actually an English-born traveling minister, and he was traveling in town on the night of the murders. And he was described as a kind of a peculiar, reportedly having suffered a mental breakdown as an adolescent. He was also accused of peeping. Um, and several times asking young women and girls to pose nude for him. And on June 8th, 1912, he came to Villisca to teach at the Children's Day Services, which the Moore family had attended. He left town supposedly between 5 a.m. and 5.30 a.m. on June 10th, hours before the bodies were discovered. So Reverend Kelly had confessed to the murders in court. Interesting. But the jury didn't really believe him. So in the weeks that followed, he displayed a fascination with this case. He wrote many letters to the police, investigators, and even the family of the deceased, which obviously arose suspicion. And a private investigator wrote back to Kelly asking for details that the minister might know about the murders. So Kelly replied with great detail, claiming to have heard sounds and possibly witnessed the murders. His known mental illness made, obviously, authorities question whether he actually knew the details because of committing the murder or it was just in his imagination. So in 1914, two years after all the murders, Kelly was actually arrested for sending obscene material through the mail. He was asked, he was also sexually harassing a woman who applied for a job as a secretary. And he ended up in the mental institution in Washington, D.C., um, investigators speculated again that Kelly could be the murder of the Moore family. Um, and in 1917, he was arrested for the murders and police obtained a confession from him. However, followed by many hours of interrogation, he later recanted. He had two separate trials and he was acquitted. So that was like one of the popular um, suspects at the time. 
there was also a man by the name of Frank Jones. So Frank Fernando Jones was actually not only a resident, but he was also an Iowa state senator. And Hosea had worked for Frank at his store for many years before leaving to open his own store. Um, Moore basically took business away from Jones, including a very successful John Deere dealership at the time. Um, What's interesting was Moore was actually rumored to have a sexual affair with Jones's daughter-in-law, but there's no real, nothing really came about that. So Hmm. one of the others, this is like one of the other suspects that I actually found really interesting um, was this is just, this was just, by the way, these are guys are, these are just theories about what had happened or or who, who they are. No one actually was ever tried or anything like that. Um, Another theory was that Senator Jones hired William Blackie Mansfield to murder the Moore family. Now, this is really interesting because um, you can actually go to the house today. It's a museum, and you can actually spend the night there. Um, mm. Yeah, it's it's pretty messed up. <laughs> yeah. But I was going to say that that's what you really want to do on your vacation, right? Actually, I think you would, wouldn't you? I totally would. Don't even question me. I totally would go there if I could. Yeah. Um. You know me too well. But what's interesting about this suspect, real quick, what's really interesting about this guy, um, I had seen a show on Ghost Hunters, and they had an EVP, and, you know, they they investigated the house. And one of the names that came up was Blackie Mansfield. So um, what I think, I'll tell you guys what I think after I read this, but I, I I absolutely believe it was it was a hired um, hit. But um, mm. so Senator Jones, they believe he hired William Mansfield to murder the Moore family. It is believed that Mansfield was actually a serial killer because he murdered his wife, infant child, and parents-in-law with it with a axe two years after the Velisca crimes. He's also believed to have committed the axe murders in Kowala, Kansas, four days before the Velisca crimes. He was also suspected <laughs> in the double homicide of Jeannie Peterson and Jeannie Miller in Illinois. Each crime site was accessible by train, and all murders were carried out in virtually the same manner. Yeah. He was actually released after a special grand jury of Montgomery County refused to indict him on the grounds that his alibi had supposedly checked out. So, yeah. you know, we got a, we got a lot of suspects here. Yeah. But well, here's a, let me answer this a, question. Yeah, let me ask a quick question here, because there's a book called Man from the Train that was mm-hmm. written. And it was by Bill James, and he theorized that it was a serial killer traveling the train just happened to pop in and Acts and leave and and that and, and that's what the whole book's all about. Is, you know, he started. Okay. It was an investigation over the Velisca murder, but they were believed that it may have been a serial killer 
and that there was evidence suggest that he killed others. You know, on a murder spree, right. he could have killed it. You know, like there's like 15 different episodes of similar crimes across the country, and like 59 people. So uh, what, what what he's were, referring to, I know I know who he's referring to. He's referring to Paul Mueller, right? So, exactly. Yeah. Um, and his daughter, Rachel McCarthy, James discusses the Velisca murder as part of a much larger series of murders, which they believe were all committed by a single serial killer. And he concluded that the murderer was Paul Mueller, um, an immigrant possibly from Germany, who was the suspect of an unsuccessful year-long manhunt as a sole suspect in an 1897 murder of a family in Massachusetts who had appointed him as a uh, farmhand. Yeah. So that's who you're talking yeah. about. I mean, this yeah, is exactly, the thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. What's your like, thoughts no on one that? Know, no one knows. Um, if, it was, if I had to place money, I, I would have said um, just because this guy eventually did commit murders with axes, um, like he slaughtered his whole family with it. He, he was like supposedly like addicted to drugs. Um, my my bet would be definitely um, William Mansfield, just because mm-hmm. of the fact that, like, I mean, two years later, he murders his entire family with an axe. You know? Yeah. Um, the thing is, is, like, we'll never know what, who did it, unless, like, yeah. like you believe in the paranormal, and I do, because I got to tell you, when I went to Vegas last year, Tom... I had some really creepy shit happen to me when I was visiting the uh, Zach Bagans um, haunted museum. I saw things. <laughs> it was really creepy for me. So the fact that um, they actually had called paranormal investigators to investigate this, this ax murder house. It's been on dozens of TV shows. Um yeah, and they all they all basically claim that it was William Mansfield and Frank Jones who set this murder up. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, 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 it's all very interesting. Yeah, because you're absolutely right. I mean, there's so much to investigate of all of this. There, there were over, and I haven't even read like all the witnesses because it'll take too damn long. But there were about eight or nine people that were suspected of this. It yeah. wasn't just like one or two people. This was like eight different people who were suspected of the murder, who held grudges against the family. Um, yeah. But the way they were murdered, it was like so savage. It was it was like really yeah. horrific. I mean, they practically were all decapitated. If you think about that, they were all decapitated. You know, um, and the fact that there was a man or persons hiding in the attic waiting for them to come back to um from church and to like yeah. have them have their last day. I mean it's kind of creepy and it's a, it's definitely a scary story. Actually talking yeah. about it kind of yeah. gives me the chills. Yeah, yeah it does. I mean it's, yeah it does. And, uh, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, we're still waiting for Dr. Larry uh but we do have a Coco has now joined us on the show to talk about murders and more murders. And the reason I did because I yes. wanted to, like, yeah, because I do want to after this uh, upcoming promo in a couple of minutes here, I do want to get more into, you know, like the uh, Yorktown rep 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 yeah, rapper, because it's 
Yeah, so you're a star riffer, case. yeah. It's it a, is. very interesting. It's a, yeah, and, 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 and a part of it is, you know, it's the, you know, like I said, we're talking about some of the policing because the police themselves came oh, over. Oh, they were so incompetent. You know, yeah. They so, were so incompetent. Let's tell you right here, yeah, this is Tom Donaldson, and now we're Coco Kotsky joining us from vacation. Here on the yeah. Do- on the Donaldson Files and the Bachelor News Radio. Tune in to You and the Law with Chief Virgil yeah. Green and Chief Keith Humphrey. The show focuses on law enforcement and their relationship with the black community while letting you know your legal rights as a citizen when confronted by the police. Listen live every Tuesday night from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com and the podcast every Monday through Sunday at 4 a.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Yes, this is Donaldson Files. Uh, once again, on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And don't forget, you can listen to this show and others anytime you want on our podcast on the bachelornewsradionetwork.com. Bachelornewsradionetwork.com. You're absolutely correct. Uh, before we go further into these uh, murders, uh, how was your holiday slash Christmas? <laughs> oh, how was that? That was so much fun. Um, it was really officially our first Christmas together because last Christmas um, I was in Arizona and he was in Atlanta. So um, yeah. it was like we did the tree. We... Um, we did a lot of baking. We had a lot yeah. of food. Um, yeah. I was really excited because I was bragging about the Whole Foods um, set. And, oh, my God, it was so great. I I think it was, like, we got, like, a seven-pound um, of, like, pot roast or roast beef. It was seven pounds of roast beef that we baked in the Instapot. And it was so, so good. It's completely gone now. <laughs> that's like all we were eating for like the last couple of days. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Well. And we did the we did the presents. Although it was kind of funny because like Steve had ordered me this amazing diamond necklace that I'm wearing right now, but it did not come oh. until like the thirtieth. Um, you know, he had ordered it about a month ago. It was like November twenty third is when he purchased it and so like he was having kind of like a little fit because it was not coming on Christmas and there was like Mm -hmm. no tracking of the package it was like kind of a mess but I got it and it's aquamarine uh heart-shaped diamond necklace that I love so it's like yeah it's very special to me (laughs) um I got him because I, I, you know, you know how he knows that like he loves the Georgia Bulldogs. So right. I actually found, I found, you're gonna love this. I found Doug Opoly based on a UGA Ooh. Monopoly game. Oh wow! So I found out that there are a lot of different types of Monopoly. <laughs> like they had a college one for Georgia. They have, like, basically whatever college you went to, Tom, I'm pretty sure there's a Monopoly game for it. So um, we did that. We played it. It was really fun. Um, I got to see my boyfriend's daughter open her gifts, and she loved them, and I was so excited because I was like, 
finally. Because I suck at keeping secrets. Like, I'm the, you should never tell me a secret, Tom. I'm, like, the worst. Like, I wanted to tell her what I yeah. got her, like, for so long. And I basically got her basically everything from her wish list that she wanted. So um, I did pretty pretty damn well, I think. Well, that's good for you. That's good. Great. But so, uh, Christmas well, was like Christmas was fun. I liked it. It 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 was really good. Now now we're gonna kiss twenty twenty goodbye. That's right. We got yeah. So absolutely. Uh, well, I know what do you have planned for your New Year's Eve? What do you and Steve have planned? Well, I'm I'm not going out. Um, yeah. I'll probably, so probably way, get some champagne. Just... I will probably get some champagne, you know, and celebrate the New Year's together, uh, which is like in two days or in a day right, or so. Yeah. Pretty much, pretty much, right? Pretty much, um, exactly right. Yeah. So I plan on staying so. up for New Year's. I plan on staying up. I, I, I'm such a baby though. Like if it's ten o'clock, I'm in bed already. Oh, but I will tell you real quick what I started watching. Um, I started watching The Mandalorian. Oh, okay. How is that? Uh, um, this has saved Star Wars. It has saved it. It has completely yeah. saved it. Um, at first I was like, mm, I don't know if I want to watch it, you know. But and I started yeah. watching it. I'm on the second season already, <laughs> and I gotta tell you, yeah, okay. it is fantastic. I mean, they, you know, how much they spent about. I think it was like eighteen million dollars per episode. It was the highest grossing mm. um yeah. per episode that, that anyone's really ever spent. Like it beat Game of Thrones mm. um for expensive yeah. production. But yeah. I love it. I I yeah. think you would really enjoy it. Yeah, I I gotta say, I've you know, I have not seen it yet. I keep hearing about it. When people say it's not like the last three Star Wars. No, no. Yeah. This is this basically it takes uh, place like a hundred years after Star Wars. Yeah, isn't that like so, in between Star Wars, the first uh, the the Star Wars? I mean, the, the original Star Wars and the coming of right. the whatever the First Order. Right, and so the thing is, is what I really love about it is I love Baby Yoda. He's the cutest little thing I have ever seen, and um, I absolutely adore Baby Yoda. Like, I started watching it for him, and now I'm like, oh, my God, he's hilarious. And it's funny. Like, the show is funny. It's funny. It's full of action. Um, it, it, it's crazy. It's just, it's just such a the, – the, the visual effects are, like, stunning. Yeah. So I think it saved Star Wars. I really do. This is brought back. Well, you know the you other know. thing. Did you ever see like the? Because they also had a series of cartoons. Uh, you're talking about the clone. You're talking about the Clone Wars. The Clone Wars. I thought those were very good. Yeah. Uh, I like the Clone and Wars. They, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I thought those the ones I saw was because I thought they did a pretty good job filling in all the pieces. Uh, you know, from let's say. The first three episodes to the you know episode four, along with Rogue One was another one that I enjoyed as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I I get it. Like, if you're a real fan of Star Wars, like true, like even if you're not, you're gonna get into it. Like, since I started watching The Mandalorian, like I now want to watch like Star Wars movies. 
So um, I definitely would give it a go. Each episode, so they're like 40 minutes, you know. Um, It's on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, here's the, yeah, here's the thing. It looks like uh, Dr. Larry is not going to be able to join us tonight. So, and we got about 15 minutes. Left. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I guess I'm going to wrap up the rap, uh, the ripper. Then I do want to wrap up the story about Dwayne Hanson, which I started with. Uh, but you're, you're right. I mean, this was in comp. I mean, I mean, here's the thing. Yeah. When reading this, they actually had this guy, Sutcliffe, the murderer, question him right. many times. Yes, I, mean, I, I read about that. Yeah, it's like, and here's the thing I, I find even more fascinating. It, and I have to wonder if he figured out, you know, this is a great way to make me really sound insane because I don't think he was insane. I think he knew what he was doing. I think he enjoyed doing what he did. He was just a psychopath. But when they arrest right. him, they do this tre- the two-week trial. He's claiming that the voice of God sent him on a mission to kill prostitutes. But right. when you see, but when you see the show, you know very clearly that he was not picking just prostitutes. He was also picking on college students, middle class, you know, teenagers, middle class women. And so, I mean, he basically expanded his universe. Uh, and he also expanded his territory because he went through the entire county. Right. And I always and I always thought to myself, I wonder if some attorney said, hey, act really crazy, you know? You know, act like God you know, ordained it so we can get an uh, insanity place. But, uh, well, it's funny you mentioned that, about the, the lawyer acting, telling him to act, because there there is, real quick, we have only have 10 minutes left, and I guess Dr. Larry's not coming on. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, he's not going to make it on tonight. Um, real quick, there was a case in Brazil about a really wealthy, nah, I don't want to say wealthy, but well-to-do family, and she was caught, uh, basically she murdered her parents for the inheritance money because they didn't want, they didn't like the boyfriend she was seeing. Um, and a bunch of people were like, no, she couldn't do this. She's a pretty white blonde girl. And there's an interview that she did, and her lawyer, you hear the lawyer tell her, cry louder, you know, cry and, and, and mourn and mourn. And so, um, they actually caught the lawyer telling her that in, on a live TV interview. And that's when everyone's like, nope, she did it. So it was kind of funny that you mentioned that because that immediately reminded me of that that crime story. Yeah, and of how the lawyer was coaching just, her. It just yeah, it just seemed like it's one of those things where, you know, he, you know, yeah, he he basically, uh, you know, it, it just sounded like to me one of those things where okay, you know, this is a good way to get off. I'll just I'll play the prostitute angle. Uh, yeah, it, I mean, it, 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 because obviously when you go through the whole show, yeah, when you go through the whole show, yeah. you know, when you go through the whole show, that you definitely, you know, you go through the show, you know, he's not just killing prostitutes. 
No, and, he's killing everybody. And so, so what if it was just prostitutes? They're they're human beings yeah, too. I mean, come on. Yeah, no, I know. I, know. I, I, yeah. I, I hate but when the, people use that angle. I hate it. It's just like okay, because yeah, no, they're yeah. prostitutes. Like, I know yeah. you're not well, like that, thing, but I, I'm talking about yeah. people who use that angle. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, and so I mean, this is the kind of thing you look at and you say to yourself, you know. And I just always thought to myself, you know. The bottom line is, is that I mean, because you note in the you know the movie he starts taunting the police. Hey, you can't catch me. I can. Right. Yeah, you know, and I'm ahead of you. And so, and you know, he's mixing up. Uh, so it's not just right. let's say quote unquote people, and he's expanded his killing ground in this county. And then he comes back and plays this angle, and it's like, you know, you. I mean, he had to know that some of these people in these neighborhoods that he's wor- operating in are not "quote unquote" prostitutes, but you know, right? Yeah, you know, but it's like it's almost like this point because again, you know, he had to observe what the police were saying because what the police were saying, well, you know, they this poor lady, you know, because they would use the word "good," "innocent," you know. Versus, well, they were prostitutes in distinguishing between right. the victims. I mean, that's what you get in the, you know, when you watch this, that he's doing this. That's going to make me so well, mad, Tom. Like, I'm going to throw something at my TV. Well, yeah, but no, it's worth watching. I mean, it is worth watching because it's a fascinating case. Yeah, it is. You know, For sure. It's a fascinating case of how they go through all of this. And, you know, the lesson there, and there's some lessons here because the real lesson is that. You know, the police really didn't, you know, they had like 200 people watch, you know, on this search. And in the final analysis, the, uh, the final analysis was, they, you know, it, like I say, they, in some ways, they finally figured this guy out. But still, yeah, but still, it's, yeah, yeah. It, 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 like I said, they had this guy in his hand two or three different times, and they didn't figure it out until... Essentially, they did. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, oh, I find yeah, that anyway, interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting story. So, but like I said, now I am going to conclude real quickly the story uh, dealing with Dwayne Haskell. Uh, for you know the football fans I started. I'm going to say in 2019. The Redskins did not have a young quarterback they were developing. So what it came down to, I like I said, this is one of those decisions where Dan Snyder made the right decision because we don't have a young quarterback. And he was rated as one of the top three. But obviously, it's one of those decisions where, uh, and for whatever, you know, to me, I think there was two circumstances that came into play. The first circumstance was, you know, the first year he was playing, he had a staff that just quite frankly did want him. And they didn't want to take the time to develop them. And when you have Ron Rivera coming in, now Rivera is one of these tough guys who say, you know what, here's the culture, here's what I expect, I want accountability. And and I think in the end, you know, what hurts Haskin is attention to details. You know, this happened, for example, in the, front, the first year in 2019, you know, this was one incident that happened. And that is, He's winning the game. The game 
You know, they look like the Redskins. I mean, the Washington franchise won their game, and the that's what it was. Bill Callahan's the head coach. He looks around, and he can't find Dwayne Haskins. So he basically tells mm-hmm. Case Keenum, "Go out there and do the kneel down." Well, the problem was Dwayne Haskins was one thought the game was over, wasn't paying attention, and he's sitting there taking selfies with the fans. <laughs> and and the and the, but I think that in the end, what really kind of ended it with him uh, and this whole thing was. Is that you know you know he this you know, he was basically told of the fact you have to win you know you have to basically win your job which he did he appeared to have beat his job went to the first four games he did you know he was one in three and he decided to switch over to Kyle Allen who basically went one in three and then they went to Alex Smith who basically you know for anybody who knows Alex Smith's story is he was basically this was a guy that nobody said would ever play again. It's a miracle that he played, but it gives, you know, but I'm left, you know, and then, you know, Haskin had, but he hurt himself again. Haskin came back in and, and what, you know, and talking to like a friend of mine, in Washington, D.C., I said, and we got talking, he said, you know, here's the problem. You got a big game. You just lost a big game. You got to, you're mm-hmm. basically being told if you're, the, that the first string quarterback, Alex Smith, is still hurt and you may have to play. So what do you do? Right. You get caught at a private club without a mask, partying. And this is not what you do in a situation where you got the game that can get you into the playoffs and you're out there partying and you're broken. This is the second time he broke the COVID protocol. And there was a maturity angle. Well, then he should get fined. He definitely should get fined. I mean – well, he got. You know, here's the thing. He got. They find him. They took away his captaincy, but I think in the end they sat back and you know. And but he played horrible in the game. You know, he basically cost. You know, between him and the special teams, they cost him the game. He just didn't look like his head was in the game. And the thing is, at this level, uh, you know, you got to be a head and shoulders. And I feel bad for the guy. I hope he gets it together. I know there's a lot of you know discussion on this. My own view is. They were right to draft him because of the talent was there. They did a poor job of developing him into the first year. The second year, you know, Ron Rivera says, you know what? If you if if I have to keep telling you, you know, you head into the game, maybe, you know, you and I need to split, and that's ended up happening. That, so, it's again, like I say, I wish the man luck because I always enjoyed watching. You know, like I say, I've seen him on Big Ten football when he was playing against Iowa and other teams. The talent's there, but the, here's the thing. It's not just talent in the NFL. you got to basically pay attention to the little things. It's a difference between you being a star, you leading the team, and you basically find yourself uh, doing something else four or five years later. So this is it. Uh, this is Tom Donaldson with Coco Konsky saying good night. And, Coco, thanks for joining us tomorrow night. Uh, we have uh, three guests, and then plus I'm going to be on the Dr. Larry show, and there'll be some special announcements shortly after that as well. So thank you very much, and good night from the Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network.
Hey, we want to welcome everyone to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. We hopefully everyone had a safe and happy uh, Merry Christmas, and everybody is getting ready for a safe and happy New Year's Eve and New Year's as we wind down 2020. So we are glad that everyone is able to join us again. And uh, without further ado, I need to introduce our listeners to my co-host who goes by the name of Chief Swag. How you doing today, brother? What's going on, my brother? How you doing, man? And uh, happy holidays still. I, did you uh, you get a chance to drink that eggnog and eat those tacos? You, you know what, man? I didn't do the eggnog, but I know I sent you some eggnog. But I did have some tacos. So, man, you can you cannot have you know, Christmas without having tamales or tacos. I mean, I'm from New Mexico, so, you know, when you're from New Mexico, you got to have some tamales for Christmas. Right, right. You do. You do. And and I had some too, man, and I tell you, oh, they were good, man. They were uh, chicken, chicken were they, tamales. Were they greasy? Were they greasy, man? Oh, no, no, no. They were handmade, man. No, nah, I mean, when I say greasy, I mean, they got tamales, real authentic tamales. You listening to me, T-Swag? They no. got to have some grease uh, to them. No, they don't. You got the right person making them, they don't. Well, you must have made those. You must have made those. <laughs> nah, hey, man, you authentic tamales got to have some grease, some grease to them. You know that gives you that little that heartburn, but but I forgot you cannot have anything that gives you heartburn. So so Here I understand. Go. Here I we understand. go. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> well, well, hey man, we have got an exciting show for our listeners and for everybody that's tuned in to to our show and. We want to remind everybody that if this is your first time calling into the show or first time listening to us, that the call-in number to the show is 646-929-0130. And uh, we also want to remind you that you can follow You and the Law on our social media pages. You can follow us on Facebook uh, at You and the Law 1. And you can follow us on Instagram. That's You underscore and the Law. You can follow us on Twitter at you the law one and you can also follow us on our the new website for the bachelor news radio network uh you can go to the bachelor news radio network.com and you can check out all of our episodes uh that have been uploaded to the website that our good friend the la bachelor has uh put together and so there's a lot of good things going on with the Bachelor News Radio Network, and we're just glad that we're a part of it and going into 2021 with a lot of exciting things going on, Keith. Yeah, absolutely, man. We're going we're gonna to claim 2021 uh, as a good, is going to be better for everybody. We, what we're going to also do is we're going to claim 2020 as a uh, stepping stone and a learning point for 2021 that's going to make all of us better. 
Yeah, yeah, and you know, and, and the topic of our show today, Keith, is a you know a year like no other. Looking back at 2020, a year for justice and demands for police reforms, and so I I know that's going to you know uh, raise a lot of uh, conversation with our listeners, and we encourage those who have tuned in to. To call in and, and speak with us and uh, share us your your comments and uh, some of your, your thoughts and concerns about how this year has been. And I mean, it's been, you know, uh, Keith. I was just as I was preparing for the show, I went back and I looked just in January of 2020. Um, man, Keith, there were close. There were 29 black men and women who were killed in the month of January. And so, you know, we started the year off with 29 deaths of black men and women. And unfortunately, Keith, we're ending this uh, December of 2020 uh, with the number of high deaths of black men and women. And just with the recent shooting in Columbus, Ohio, but one of the things Keith I discovered was a 15-year-old uh, was killed by the Columbus police on January the 30th of 2020, and so you have a department in a city that's dealing with uh, the shooting death of another unarmed black man that is uh, that has taken some. The police chief or the police commissioner has taken some steps to remove that officer, but here's a city that's dealing who keep dealt killed, dealt with the killing of a 15 year old by a police officer, and here the same city is dealing with the shooting death of an unarmed black man in his garage. Well, I will tell you, man. I uh, I I will. Uh, you've gotta you've gotta respect the chief for making that unpopular decision. And what I mean by that, let me clarify what I'm saying. It was unpopular with uh, the union, uh, but you gotta you gotta respect him for standing up and making that decision. And and I don't think in listening to him and reading his reason for for the for the termination uh, was not to appease the community, the African American community. It was the fact that it was the right thing to do, and the officer was reckless. Um, and and so he felt, you know, you can't, we can't keep making these mistakes. And at the end of these mistakes, Virgil, uh, someone is dead. Now, 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 I've said this over and over again, and and I've not had anybody question this. I've said it over and over again. The community, community, the communities, the community, communities of color, understand. That there are those there are those times when force is necessary, even up to deadly force. But what we're having a hard Correct. time is law enforcement explaining to communities of color when you have an opportunity to de-escalate the distance. We're we're talking about how we're training people to maintain distance. We're talking about how we're training people to uh, de-escalate and to. Uh, give those verbal commands where it's minimize a person being a threat or us having to use deadly force. And, and, and we, we, we talk about that, but this continues to happen over and over and over again. 
it's not even an issue. I'm I'm an African American chief. You're an African American chief. It's not even a it's not even a focus on what a person looks like. It's the purpose of what are we training? When will we get it? When will we when mm-hmm. will we when will we see the big picture as law enforcement? Um, it, it, it's like we see these things and we see these things and we're not asking the men and women who wear the uniform. By no means are we asking them to 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 put themselves in danger. We're just asking them to think. And I know we got to go to a break here, but I just want to leave that. Yeah. You know, let's pick up if we can pick up when we get back. Yeah, yeah, Keith. We're coming up on on our first break, and you know, man, there's there's a lot of uh, a lot to unpack in in this topic that that we have uh, chosen to talk about, and, and hopefully our listeners will will definitely engage with us and uh, be a part of this conversation because, as you know, this is something that you know you know one of the things I say before we go to break, you know, 2020 it started off with. Now everybody has a hashtag, and so we'll definitely get into how this, how everything has evolved, and how now there's a hashtag with a person's name who has been killed by a police officer. But you're listening to you and the law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. If you want real discussions on politics, social issues, racial issues, and other topics, then tune into the Bachelor News Radio Show. Listen live every Monday and Thursday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com. And if you missed the show, you can listen every Monday through Saturday at 8 a.m. and 3 p.m. Eastern and every Sunday at 5 a.m. and 3 p.m. at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Listen and be informed. Greetings and great day, everyone. I am Elder Janelle Strickland, host of the Life Cafe radio broadcast, from Maximizing Life Family Worship Center. I invite you to tune in every Saturday from 5 to 6 p.m. Tune in, maximize your life with the Word of God, and be blessed. Only on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Broadcast, Chief Humphrey and uh, Chief Virgil Green here on the Bachelor News Radio Network, 646-929-0130. They'll get in touch with them. The chat room is also open, and you can hit us up on their Facebook page. Uh, and anywhere else you can catch the show, they're recapping such a, a tough year. It's always a tough year for, for people of color, quite candidly, uh, and, and these Police shootings and deaths, um, so many to name. Uh, guys, uh, I don't even know, you know, where to start. But um, yeah, it, it, it's one of those years you think that, um, you know, the, the, 
when you want to recap, when people get to the end of the year, they they think of some some fond memories and stories of the year. But in regards to your topic tonight, I mean, it's tragically you can go down the line from January to December. Um, unfortunately, guys. Yeah. Yeah, you you definitely can, LA. And I mean, and you know, like you said, you know, you can have a a, a show of that that has all of the the positive things and, you know, you look back and and say, you know, hey, this was a, a great year. And I think, you know, one of the things that me and Keith want to do uh, on this podcast show is that, you know, if you, if you want the facts, if you want the truth, you, you're going to have to tune in to You and the Law podcast show because that's what we're going to give you every, every Tuesday. And so, uh, and it's unfortunate that, you know, uh, the deaths that have occurred this this year um, have been a lot that has involved unarmed uh, black men and black women. Uh, some have been uh, where people have dealt with mental uh, issues. And, you know, it just goes back to even when you think of Tamir Rice, you think of all of these names. And when you, you know, LA, when you get to looking at these names and, and you forget, uh, you've forgotten about certain names because of how many people. And then all of a sudden, L.A., you go back and you think, you know, some almost, you know, a decade ago, you know, the incident that happened out in, in uh, uh, I believe it was in San Francisco where uh, a train station where a young black man lost his life uh, from a police officer uh, on a oh, bar. Fruitville, on the Fruitville, bar. Fruitville, yeah, Fruitville, yeah, Fruitville station. Yeah. yeah, Fruitville station that turned into a movie. And I think, you know, LA and, and I listen, I think a lot of people probably have forgotten about that incident that happened way back then that was caught on a on a citizen's cell phone uh who was recording it. And you think about the technology, how technology has really evolved since then. But, you know, again, you know, man, you you just kind of you're left with so many, you know, questions as to where do we go and especially in our profession. Keith, and you know this, it's always about, we talk about best practices and we talk about, you know, how do we do things better? And, you know, man, I'm left with questioning, you know, have we talked, have we talked about, we've talked about best practices, but what is, where has it gotten us to the simple fact that in this year alone, man, I believe there is close to 192 Black men and women have been uh, killed as a result of gun violence between police. And this is not gun violence on black on black. This is just the statistics, the numbers have shown that 192 people have lost their lives, uh, black men and black women, at the hands of a police officer. Well, you know what, man, and let me say this, and, and we, you know, we, were, we were talking earlier the, the the fact is we're not making a black white thing out of this. Let me let me no, let me no, get it no. let me get it straight because it, it doesn't matter. You, you, you know you're talking about a gentleman. You're talking about an officer. I've been involved in a deadly force situation. Uh, it, it is never easy. But but as a police chief, you can't minimize the African American community's concerns. You can't exactly. minimize that. Uh, yeah. It is difficult to answer why because. I think you and I are students of the profession, and I think we analyze and we review. 
anytime there's a deadly force situation, and especially when the full video, full the, the entire footage is available, or when you can read the after-action reports and things like this and you read, the first thing I want to know is, was it a tactical was it a was it a was it a training issue, you know, or was it a tactical issue? Because I want I want to know were there other options that that officer could have taken. I'm mm-hmm. the first that I have no problem saying that officer was justified in his shooting if that's the case. <clears throat> but mm-hmm. at the same exactly. time, I'm not going to defend someone if that was a and, and I don't you know we 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 hear this all the time where you can't armchair quarterback, you can't second guess. Well, as a police chief, your responsibility is to review. Your responsibility is to is to look at um, is to look at and critique the actions of that officer. It it may not be the most popular thing to do, but that's what our responsibility is. And so, when mm-hmm. you make a decision based on your years of of, of being in law enforcement as an executive with, in training being a field training officer, and you look at it from all angles because we have to look at it from a point of what other options did they have because we have to make split-second decisions. We get that, but what other options did they have? Could that person have waited for his backup? Could he have brought that person to him? Could they have given that person, did they have enough time to give that person verbal commands to show his hands or show, you know, show their hands? Could they have done that? Was it, did the, did the, Actions of that person, because if you because really and truly, when we talk about the use of force, we re, we we react to the actions of those individuals. Mm-hmm. So if you have an if you and, and, and law is very close, you can never exceed the amount of force that's it's necessary to get a person that's being used. So you yeah. can't because a person is saying I'm not going to put my hands behind my back. That's a refusal. I mean, that's a, that's a force resist. That is resistance. But we don't have yeah. the authority to, to shoot someone, take our weapon out and shoot them because they say that we're not going to put our hands behind our back. And especially if it's a situation where there's a person's a shoplifter. I think people understand if you have someone who's actively aggressive and who's utilizing force that could end up killing someone or killing that officer. I don't think anyone questions that. But what people are seeing on TV what they're seeing are they're seeing people that are complying or about to comply that aren't that that don't have anything in their hands and they're being shot. And as a police chief, I can't explain it. I, I, I can't explain why this continues to happen over and over again. Do I believe yeah. Virgil and LA and to the listeners, do I believe every situation involves race is a racist thing? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. But I can understand why the communities of color believe that because it continues to be an ongoing issue that that we're seeing on TV constantly, whether it's something that happened recently or something that happened a year ago that's just now coming out. It's an ongoing story. It's like every day or every other day there's a story coming out. Yeah. Well, and you know, Keith, and I think one of the other things that especially with Groups like Black Lives Matter, the NAACP, and and other uh, activist organizations, they are simply asking for police to be, if you're going to police yourselves, there has to be accountability. 
And I think when the police are not being transparent, they're being transparent up to a point. And then there's a they're they're not being transparent. And now all of a sudden that causes a lot of uh conflicts between the police and, and, and local activist groups like Black Lives Matter and, and other uh, organizations who are standing up for people's rights. And and then there's this shield that's put up. And, you know, we had a show several weeks ago where we talked about the blue wall. There's this shield that's put up, and that just continues to break down the communication between especially the black community and the police and oftentimes, Keith, what we see is that the police are going to say, and, and we are the police, and so we're talking about it, uh, that you're not going to outdo us. You're never going to have the one on us. We're going to have the one on you. So it's always this constant uh, uh, battle to say we're going to be on top of you because as a citizen, you're never going to be on top of us as the police. And I think that's why so many people are so frustrated and they're asking for police accountability. And I don't agree with the the um, defunding, uh, but there's people who they believe in it. But when you want to defund the police, now you're going to hurt the response to the community that you're trying to get the police to stop doing what they're doing. So there's a lot of things that, that come up, that come along with that, Keith. But I think the biggest thing in going into 2021 is that how can we enhance police accountability uh, in the United States? Well, we're going to we're going to have to get. I mean, let's just be honest, Virgil. There, there's going to have to be some uh, oh, some some mandatory uh, standardized requirements. And they're going to have to. They're going to have to make it mandatory that we understand there's 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 federal law and state law. We understand that, but there but there has to be. You know, all law enforcement have to make sure that they're following the the, the amendments. And so there needs to be something that comes down from the Department of Justice that mandates if you are going to if you're going to receive federal funding, if you're going to be able to be eligible for grants. You're going to have to implement a formalized diversity training, formalized diversity training, community engagement training. You're going to have to ensure that officers are focusing on de-escalation. You can't, we, we cannot allow the local, the individual police departments to, they're doing it. There has to be some guidelines tied to state and federal funding that says if you're not doing this, you're not going to be eligible for these grants. If you're not doing this, then we're going to assign um, uh, oversight to you because because that's the only way that I think we're going to have those standardized to ensure that everybody – because I can tell you right now, there are there are people in the communities of color that there's no way you can you can that you can make uh, some of our communities of color believe that we're training our people, our officers, the escalation tactics. They, and you can have a formalized training, but there's no way. 
And a lot of that is because we don't open our training up for our community to see it. Our communities yeah. really don't know what they're what they're asking to see. And so that is incumbent upon the police chief to invite and have a sit down at the table with our local leaders and say, this is what we're training. Let's go, let me look at, here's the curriculum. This is what we're training. This is the guidelines that the chief are holding people accountable to. Yeah. Well, hey, Keith, we're coming up on, on, on our next break, but I want to put this out before we go to the break, but we had a question from David in Philadelphia last week uh, who asked, when are we going to trust black leadership in law enforcement? And he's a retired police officer. So we're going to take this break. When we come out, we're going to address uh, David's uh, in Philadelphia's question. So you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Join Barry Barnes for Locker Talk on the Bachelor Pad Network as he presents NFL news and evaluates players Fridays at 9 a.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com. Would you like to know where your family came from? Are you planning a reunion? Is your business celebrating an anniversary? Valerie Metzler, archivist historian, can help. With 34 years of experience as an archivist, preserving and making accessible documents and photographs, and as a historian researching genealogies, Valerie Metzler, archivist historian, can bring your history to life and preserve it for your children's grandchildren. For more information, email her, vm as in Mary, ah, at key. Con.net. That's V M as in Mary A H at key C O N N dot net or call eight one four nine three two one seven four zero. to get in touch with them. Um, I did get someone calling um, or called in and I, I screened uh, Chiefs that said he wasn't so much worried as an African-American, not so much worried about uh, the lack of transparency, but the protocol in it, which is interesting because he, I guess he's saying you know, eventually it's going to come out, but maybe he hung up, but maybe he meant, um, I hope he calls back, maybe he meant that, you know, it takes too long or the steps and the bureaucracy to get the information out there when you have some kind of controversial shooting or, God forbid, fatality uh, in the black community. So he, he said the transparency can happen, I guess, but he, he's he's worried about, he's more concerned about the wait time and who it's got to go through and are we going to really see all the information? That's what he put out there, guys. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. If, I can, if I can 
if I can answer that, because we went through that situation, I, I, if I may, Virgil. Uh, well, I just want to remind it, everybody that if they're listening to the show, Key, that if you're on, if you because we got a lot of people listening, but if you want to come on the air live with us, let the producer know that, hey, you've got a comment or a question, you, you want to come on the air. If not, if you want to just sit there and listen, that's fine. But if you do want to come on, let the producer know uh, when he screens the calls that you want to come on and uh, talk with us live on the air. But go ahead, Keith. Yeah, uh, you know, the, 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 the police profession has changed from that we don't want to share. Uh, you know, the first time that we saw uh, information was, uh, you know, actual video was the Rodney King incident. And it wasn't law enforcement that released that. It was a citizen it's that a citizen. actually yeah. that video. So for whatever reason he released it, whether it was for monetary purposes or wanting to do the right thing, that kind of opened up the fact that these that, that confirmed that these type of things were happening. And so when you come and you know, up, Keith, you, that when you and you know, Keith, that happened with a VHS recorder. Yeah, old VHS, an old VHS yeah. recorder, you know. And so, um, so now, you know, it, it, and I can tell you exactly what happened. We talk about this at ICP. You, you have this, you have this philosophy that get it out to the public before the public releases it, because you get mm-hmm. a chance to show that you're not hiding anything, that you want to be transparent. And you get the story out there. But at the end of the day, there's nothing to hide in these incidents. And so what happens is you have, you have, the, you have city government that will not allow it. It's all based on what, what is that person's Freedom of Information Act? What does that state's Freedom of Information Act or open records allow to do? Because you have, you have certain police chiefs and you have certain prosecutors that believe if that information is relieved, released prior to any type of uh, thorough investigation or criminal findings, the officer will not get a fair shot, that the officer's due process has been violated. I totally Mm -hmm. disagree with that. The community needs to see those videos because, you know, no matter how bad they look, it's best for the police department to get it out there and show it as soon as possible. But because in that case, it does show they're not trying to hide anything. Now, people are going to still believe that they're hiding something. But once you release mm-hmm. that video, that's not going to taint the investigation. Either the officer violated policy or they did not violate policy. Either the prosecutor is going to take the case or they're not going to take the case. Th- those mm-hmm. are the things that we have to get away from. The other, the other thing is, at the, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the thing you also want to do is you want to bring that, that person's family in and you want to show them that video before it hits the media. Because what you don't, you want to get an understanding, give them the respect to allow them to see it, no matter how bad it is. You ask them, give them the opportunity to say yes or no, I don't want to see it. Your city officials have to see it. People need to see that you have nothing to hide and you get out in front of it. it it's, it's, it's the fact that People are afraid because they may not be able to explain or they don't know how to explain or they feel as if they try to explain, they're going to they're gonna do something wrong. And, and that's no not fact. the case. That's yeah. not the case. But, you know, I, I just wanted to kind of go through that. And, and, and at the end of the day, the sooner you get it out, the, the better it is for everybody. Yeah. 
Well, hey, Keith, we, we have a, a, a caller on the line. Uh, Jamie in Oklahoma City uh, has a comment and a question. Uh, go ahead with your comment uh, and question. And thanks okay. for joining you uh, in the law. Well, I appreciate it. Um, and, and first, I want to say, first and foremost, that uh, I have a lot of respect for both of you gentlemen. Um, I used to be a police officer under uh, Chief Green's command, and so I know him personally. But I will say this, um, uh, still being a law enforcement officer, um, th- th- it, it's, it's getting to the point um, where, uh, as a law enforcement officer, um, we are seeing some things that we know are just not right. Um, and as as an African-American officer, it, it really – it's almost to the point where um, there's a respect for the blue line at the very same time. Because this is blue line, I'm still black, uh, regardless of whether I'm in uniform or not. At the end of the day, when I take this uniform off, I'm still an African-American man. And so mm-hmm. my, my issue is this. Um, there are a lot of things that we're seeing as African-American people that, uh, in my opinion, had those things uh, happened – in reverse fashion, uh, there would definitely be some accountability. Now, um, and I'd, I'd like to have you guys' opinion on that, but now I, I, I firmly believe had uh, an African-American officer did those very same things that we've seen played down in the media and played down as far as judgment is concerned from a administrative standpoint, I think it would have been different. It would have been very different. So if, if you mm-hmm. look at, say, say you had an African-American officer, gun down a white man with a cell phone in his hand. I don't think that uh, the only thing that would happen is a firing. And so at some point, mm-hmm. as African-Americans, um, I firmly believe that we're going to have to say, okay, enough is enough. And and there's going to have to be an issue where we say, you know what, we're tired of this. We're going to do something different. And having a lot of respect for both of you gentlemen, uh, like I said, uh, having worked under uh, Chief Green uh, in law enforcement and also uh, uh, Chief Humphrey, I also have a lot of respect for you because I've known that I've I've been told of the things that you've done and I've been told people have worked under you. So, again, I'd like to just hear what you guys have to say about that because as a law enforcement officer, you know, I'm I'm pretty frustrated. Yeah. Well, Jamie, we definitely thank you for for calling in and and with your comments and listening and be a – being a loyal listener to the show. Um, but Keith, you know, he, he raises some good uh, points. Uh, and, it, you know, if if it was a uh, a black officer who had uh, had shot a white man in a garage holding a cell phone, uh, how would that outcome be treated differently? And I believe there was an incident uh, uh that occurred, and I can't remember the name of the city, Keith, and you may be able to help me where, I want to say, I believe it was in Minneapolis where a police officer was um, black and shot a white lady uh, who had approached them, uh, and that officer was charged and arrested for uh, the killing of of a white lady, so... That was an incident. Somalian, Somalian. Yeah, he was a Somalian. Yeah, and that Mm -hmm. and that was the incident. That was the incident that he apparently they had gotten she had dialed nine one one regarding some um, suspicious activity, and they were driving Mm -hmm. down the alley, and as she approached him, he shot. He shot. um, Yeah, he shot her, and he's he received eleven years uh, in uh, in in the penitentiary. 
for his actions. And, and so, you know, I, I'll tell you this. If an officer's wrong, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't matter what they look like. If they're wrong, they're wrong. Uh, and you would hope, Jamie, you would hope that in 2020 that, you know, people would look that way. It doesn't matter what the officer looks like. It doesn't matter what the victim looks like. If they're wrong, they're wrong. If they're right, they're right. But unfortunately, you do have those situations, and, and I can't explain it. And that's, that's why I'm usually not at a loss for words, but it is very difficult for me to explain to the, to the minority communities why this is happening so. And why does it seem as though uh, blacks are being targeted? Whether that's true or not, if this is that community's perception, all I can do is explain why I hope that's not the case. But the worst thing I could do as a police chief is try to minimize a concern of a community. You you can't do that. And, And so you hope in 2020 race doesn't play an issue. You hope in 2020 that if you have a situation where an officer uh, recklessly kills someone, you hope that they are held accountable for that. Um, I, I, I don't know how to explain it. I don't know uh, what we can do is that we just got to continue as a police chief, African-American police chief. I just got to continue to fight for what's right. I just have to know, no, no if, ands, or buts stand up for the, you know, stand up for the things that I know is right, that I was hired to do, stand up for those things and the things that we know are right. We have to deliver the service to our communities, no matter what our communities look like, that they deserve. We exist because they allow us to exist, and we have to treat our communities that way. Yeah, yeah. And, Keith, and I, you know, and that kind of falls in line with the question that we had last week from uh, from our listener in Philadelphia who, you know, uh, wanted to know, who asked the question about, you know, uh, blacks uh, being held, you know, black, you know, blacks in leadership, you know, what are they doing to, to hold their uh, officers accountable and how, how are they actually stepping up to uh, come out and speak uh, against some of these things that, that have occurred and don't just be a silent voice. Uh, in the room when you have uh, the the voice to to share your thoughts and your concerns. So, um, you know, and, and I, if I remember that, that came from uh, David in Philadelphia where he said, you know, when are we going to trust black leadership in law enforcement? And I think that's a big question is, you know, trusting our blacks uh, who hold positions as police chiefs and, and police commissioners or whatever role you have, uh, how are you going to utilize your position and your voice to to hold your officers accountable? And I think, you know, when we talk about this topic of, uh, you know, that we've chosen to talk about today, that, that's going to be a big issue about accountability. But, Keith, we're coming up on our, our, on our next break, so we're going to take this break. And when we come back, we're going to jump back into this uh, topic. But you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Prevention works most effectively when people understand the risks and consequences, and the risks and consequences of inhalants is clear, but it's not well understood. It's frustrating because the danger comes from vapors found in a variety of very common household products that are legal, they're easy to get, 
They're laying around the home. It's easy for kids to buy them, and it's a problem. Kids and parents don't think of these products as dangerous because they were never meant to be used to be intoxicating, and yet that's what they're used for. When they're intentionally inhaled, they can cause serious harm and even death. Young people, parents, physicians, and others that influence youth need to be aware of this. So we're particularly pleased to have a partnership with the American Osteopathic Association, which is working hard to help us inform physicians to look out for these issues as well. SAMHSA has just released information that among 12-year-olds nationwide, alcohol is the only substance with higher use than inhalants. Inhalants exceed the rate of use of cigarettes, marijuana, hallucinogens, and any other drugs that 12-year-olds may be experimenting with. More 12-year-olds have used potentially lethal inhalants than have used marijuana, cocaine, and hallucinogens combined. So we're approaching 7% of our 12-year-olds in the country that are using glue, shoe polish, air freshener, hairspray, nail polish, paint solvents, gasoline, lighter fluid. These are everyday products with real life or death consequences. All the Bachelor News Radio Network, 646-929-0130, the number to get in touch with these fine chiefs, these brothers. Appreciate them. Uh, the chat room is open. If you're on the line, you have a question, we screen the calls. You're not on the air. We're just finding out if you have a question or comment. You can also hit them on their Facebook page, Unilaw uh, Facebook page as well don't forget if you miss this show you can go and listen to any of their shows this one and all their shows at our website the bachelor news radio network.com the bachelor news radio network.com and go to the you and the law page check them out uh their pictures and all that good stuff kick it back to chief swag humphrey chief virgil Green. Well, hey, man, we're, we're glad everybody has joined, joined us uh, here on, on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, you're listening to You and the Law. And, uh, you know, the topic that we are talking about is that we're, you know, we're going back and we're looking at, um, you know, looking back at a year of 2020 with all the things that happened uh, with police shootings in the black community, all the protesting going on. And uh, and the the demands for justice, the demands for police reform, but but you know, Keith, I have to ask you this question because you know I don't. Did, were you doing the the cubic shuffle, or were you doing the the Dougie, or what were you doing, man? Because I know you was getting into getting into the to the beat, brother. Man, I was doing I was doing some sigma stepping, man. You know, I, I got I got to represent the blue and white blue body. 
<laughs> oh my God! I, I know that was gonna come out at some point, LA. It was gonna come out, and <laughs> so, so. But, uh, but man, hey, you know, Keith, we're glad everybody um, is, uh, you know, is joining us on uh, on our show, and uh, you know, we are a show that, you know, if you want to know what's going on, and uh, in the in the world of law enforcement, we're gonna give it to you straight. We're gonna have these uh, hard, com- you know, these conversations with you that uh, most others will probably not have. But this is a conversation that we need to have in in the in the minority communities, whether you're black, Hispanic, um, you know, these are things that are happening to to people of color. And so, you know, Keith with you know, when you hear names, you know, I think so many names are going to be known uh, with hashtags in 2020, like George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, uh, Rashad Brooks, you know, all of the, the those names and so many other names, uh, you know, spurred, you know, widespread protests against police brutality and racial injustice. Um, and there's continued protest. And, you know, then you have the the incident that happened in Kenosha, Wisconsin, where Jacob Blake was was shot in the back multiple times while his kids were in the back seat, and watch all this unfold. So, I think you know, oftentimes you know, people will say, Keith, in policing, they'll say, you know, there's bad apples, you, you know, well, and then there's well, there's bad apples. What comes from bad apples? Rotten trees. Uh, what comes from rotten trees? I'm gonna I'm gonna have to say uh, some some bad policies in the structure of some agencies, and in those bad trees is structural racism and and things that have lingered and lingered for decades and decades, and police are not holding themselves accountable. You don't have a police chief who comes out and says, "You know we were wrong for what we did." you know, with this incident, you know, then there's, you know, civil payouts to victims. And I think, you know, Keith, one of the things that I, you know, we talk about, you know, widespread, you know, accountability, and we talk about, you know, uh, some things that may be put in place on a federal level. I, I, I One of the things that I think w- was going to get a lot of conversation uh, is, when cities and towns uh, have to start or police departments have to absorb some of these costs of these civil payouts where, uh, in the, you know, police violence in the form of, of insurance policy. So, you know, again, uh, th- I think that's going to be some conversation going into in 2021 is the accountability with police departments and how they're going to absorb some of these civil payouts to victims of police violence. You know, Bert, I don't, I don't know. You know, I, I, um, money doesn't settle anything. Uh, no, it we've got to stop thinking. We got to stop. Cause I've heard people say, well, they settle with the family for millions of dollars. So you can't put a life on a person. You can't put a amount on a person's life. And so I'm so tired of hearing people say that. Uh, that that minimizes a person's life. And I, I was mentioning something today. Uh, I, I had a press conference the other day. 
regarding yeah. some, some homicides that we had in the city. And, and the first thing I wanted to reach out and I wanted to say, we got to stop talking about people, uh, no matter, you know, whoever's, whoever's life is taken, we got to st- we got to look at that person as a human being. We have to stop dehumanizing. No matter if that person does have a criminal history, uh, we've got to stop saying things, you know, that that minimizes a person's life. Uh, but and because that's somebody's child, husband, brother, sister, relative, friend, neighbor, uh, somebody loved that person. We might not agree with what that person was doing, but somebody loved that person. So these things about, you know, well, they, they, they settle with the family. Um, that's not, that's not, um, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't bring that loved one back. That's not compensation is not a replacement for someone's life. And we, 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 we no. got to stop saying that. And, and uh, you know, and I, I heard this, oh man, the city's going to have to pay, you know, see, that's a big check, man. I, I, I get, that is just so, disheartening to me when I hear that. Um, and we, we've got to start putting a value on these people's lives. You know, we, you know, and what I mean by that, we've got to realize, stop dehumanizing. Uh, when you say things like that, you're, you're dehumanizing a person. Uh, as a police chief, uh, as a police officer, uh, I can tell you right now, being a person that was involved in a deadly force situation, I still, still remember that. Uh, I still have thoughts of that. I still, it still bothers me, even though through a just, it was justified. It still bothers me. And anyone mm-hmm. who tells you that's been involved in a situation like that, that tells you it doesn't bother them, that's a problem. That's that's the first initial, that's the initial sign that something's not right. Uh, when yeah. people say we're, we're going to pay the family, and and, and they should be. You know, to put to put a uh, sense of closure, you'll never you'll never close that chapter of a person's life out. So, I just wanted to share that with the with the community, with the with yeah. the listeners. Yeah. Well, Keith, you know, I want to remind those who may just now be tuning in to the Bachelor News Radio Network, and you're listening to you and the law. That you know, today we're talking about a year like no other. You know, looking back at uh, 2020. Uh, and a year for justice and the uh, demands for police reform. And, you know, I, I th- Keith, I think a lot of people will will never forget the uh, George Floyd, you know, I can't breathe, you know, for over eight minutes, you know, we listened to a man who pleaded with police to, you know, let him up. And this police officer just casually, like he was just, a dog laying on the street who had his hands in his pocket, like, all right, man. All right. You'll be all right. All right, man. You'll be all right. And we, and in the world watched this man's life be taken away from somebody who shouldn't, who should have been removed from, from that police department from the the, the second complaint he got. I mean, he had, I, I believe something like 17 complaints. So, you know, this just goes back to the accountability. This goes back to so many things are in, you know, play a role. You know, we have city attorneys who say, no, you can't release this video because it's going to make the department of the city look bad. Then you've got the police union who's saying, no, you can't do this here because we got a contract with the city. 
everybody is looking after all these other interests, but nobody is looking after the interest of the victims. And people will say, well, George Floyd wasn't a victim. He was a suspect. You know, and I think that just really intensifies the anger in the black community when police, and I've even heard police chiefs say, other colleagues say, well, this suspect or this subject, call this person by his name. He or she, they have a name. Don't let the black community and our, you know, activists come out and say their names. We are so, it's almost like we're just callous. We, we, if we have to mention that person's name that was killed at the hands of a police officer, now some kind of way, you know, you, oh, you can kind of, that can be used against you. So, Keith, man, there's just so many things that really need to change going into 2021. And I know we're going to continue to have these conversations, brother, on this on this podcast show. But, you know, man, I just hopefully with this pandemic, with, a, with the vaccine that's coming out, that that's going to change some things. But, you know, it, unfortunately, you know, reality sets in and we look back when we say it. In January of 2020, we had almost 30 uh, black men and women killed at the hands of police officers. Uh, what does that bring uh, towards 2021? Don't know. Hopefully, hopefully, a better, more hopefully positive. Not. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, I, yeah. I, I have faith and confidence. It's going to be more positive. Yeah, I do. Yeah, man. It, I, I do. Yeah. It, and I, you know, and I think you know one of the things we always want to, you know, and I think the black community, in the minor is always one of the most uh, forgiving communities who will say, you know, hey, you're going to find there's there's always a, a bright light at the end of the tunnel, um, but then when you go back and you think about the the kid Tamir Rice and you go back and you look at, you know, you know. George Floyd or, you know, what happened with Rodney King or, you know, all, all these names, man, it's just like, when will it, when will it stop? And we know there's people who don't want to go to jail, Keith, and we know there's people who have weapons on them, whether it's a knife or a gun, but we have the technology today in law enforcement, whether it's a taser, some people, it, it, if it's justified, it's justified. And I think oftentimes, Keith, I know we've got, you know, the last couple of minutes on the show that we, if there's always a reason to say it was justified and if it's justified, that's fine. But I think one of the things that, that I'm going to say that we have to do is be open and transparent with our public. And we need to have citizen advisory boards, people who uh, the community can, can overlook the things that the police are looking at. And then I think that way, Keith, that just brings out more trust that the community has with our local police departments. Yeah, man, I, I echo that. I echo those sentiments, man. I, I echo them. And, and, yeah. and you know what, Virgil? One of the things that I that I, I, I always reemphasize to the community, to our listeners, this isn't about uh, saying that all law enforcement is bad, but these are these are these are topics that are that have to be discussed. And these are topics that yeah. our communities of color are, are raising daily. And so if as law enforcement officers, as, as police chiefs, if we can't have those open discussions, if we can't talk about the difficult topics, 
then we don't need to be in our in our in our in our jobs. Uh, and, and so we're not pointing fingers at any one police department. Every police department in the nation can improve. Every police chief in the nation can be better. Every police officer in the nation can be better. Every community can make an attempt to be better. So I just want to make sure that everybody understands it's a joint effort. Everybody, the community has to hold the police department accountable, and the police department has to hold the community accountable to hold them accountable. So just, yeah. I just wanted to say that before we go off the air. Yeah. Well, hey, Keith, there's a question from uh, Monique in Durham. Uh, I don't know if you see this question where uh, I think, you know, she said one of the chiefs said they were involved in a deadly shooting. How do you sleep at night? Do, did you get therapy as a black man? How do you deal with white uh, law enforcement in your department that kills black men or black women? So we've got about three minutes, uh, two or three minutes. Uh, you want to take that question? Sure. Uh, it's it's very difficult. Uh, you took a life. You know, I, I took a life, no matter justification or not. Uh, I took a life. And you go from de- various emotions of uh, very emotional to anger, uh, asking the questions of why. Uh, yes, I, I went through a counseling, which was mandated, had to be cleared, uh, was not put back on the street initially, and went through the, the uh, criminal investigation aspect of it to where I had to go before the grand jury. And so, yes, that happened 23 years, 21 years ago, and it happened on my wife's birthday. So I do still live with that. I still do think about it. I think about that person. I think about the people who witnessed that. I think about my family. Yeah, there are those. I did have sleepless nights. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I did have to go through uh, therapy for that. So uh, I'm human. So, yeah, it, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not easy. If somebody tells you that it's easy and this is what we train for and it's okay, that, that's, that's, there's a problem there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, hey, Keith, you know, man, we're coming up on the last few minutes of the show. And, you know, brother, this has been, uh, you know, we started this show back in March or April, and it's been a great success. And we're we're looking forward to 2021. And we hopefully that everybody is listening to the show will will definitely tune in and uh, catch us uh, as our first show airs uh, in January of 2021. But we want to thank everybody who as listening to us and continue to listen to us, but make sure you check out the uh, bachelor news radio network.com and listen to the rebroadcast of our shows. But uh, we're going to have a lot of great topics coming your way in 2021 and a lot of great things we're going to be doing, but we want to say Keith, you you know, until next year, sir, you know, it's been great. It's been a pleasure, but uh, we look forward to seeing everyone in 2021. Happy new year, everybody. Yeah, Happy New Year. And again, you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.